In the last couple of weeks, uh, Daniel and I have been reading Fox's Book of Martyrs. And we've been stirred and moved by such testimonies of men and women and children who suffered (coughs) persecution and suffered martyrdom at the hands of evil people. This book was written by uh, John Fox um, after a time of Queen Mary. He, uh, or during that time, he fled the country, then returned and heard many stories of men who had been killed and, 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 and women and children. And so he started writing uh, those accounts. And later he started discovering history, uh, events that uh, in the past, men and women who had died also. And so he started compiling it. I didn't know that this book, alongside the Bible, for many years was chained to the pulpits of churches in the past. It was chained because people would, would um, like enjoy reading it and they would perhaps take it home. And so it was chained so that they, they would not go walkies, in a sense. Uh, but uh, the Bible and Fox's Book of Martyrs were a feature in churches. I'd encourage you, th- this copy... Um, by Bridge Logos uh, is uh, easy to read, is abridged and, uh, and indeed very heartwarming and moving. Many Christians suffered to the point of death and no matter the pain inflicted, no matter the torture they endured or the threats that they received, their faith, their endurance and their love For Christ Jesus was ever so strong and exemplary through the ages. On one occasion, a brother in Christ by the name of Victor was well known for being a very generous man. He would give to the poor, he would go and visit the needy, and he was a very generous, generous man indeed. And his fame and popularity was so that he he became known by the emperor at his time. John Fox writes, Victor spent much time visiting the sick and weak and gave considerable money to the poor. So he was arrested for that reason. He was bound and he was dragged in the streets and pagans began throwing rocks at him and and he was being beaten and, 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 and he was... Tormented such a long time that the tormentors or the people that were uh, inflicting these these, uh, um, beatings grew tired. Uh, And then they sent him and uh, took him to a prison cell. As he was there in the cell, he met met three men by the name of Alexander, Longinus and Felician. These three men heard the gospel of Jesus Christ through Victor. They became Christians. The emperor heard of that and he sent them to be beheaded. Victor was later visited by the emperor and forced to worship an idol of the emperor by by offering incense. That's what they would do. Just offer a pinch of incense and you you let go. He refused to offer a pinch of incense and he rather kicked the, the idol. I will spare you the details of the things that they did to him there and then. But he died by being crushed by a meal. Have you suffered for your faith? Not yet. 
Have you suffered <laughs> for being a Christian? Well, I, I, I like, I like uh, Elsa's response because I, I wouldn't be surprised if very soon we start seeing Christians being persecuted for their very faith, even in this country, or being imprisoned. How should we conduct ourselves when persecution comes our way? And that is what Peter is addressing in 1 Peter chapter 3 from verse 8 onwards. And I'll invite you to open up the Bible as we go through 1 Peter 3. How should we behave? What should we do when suffering comes our way? And we will be considering two words. The one word is bless. The other word is endure. Bless, endure. Father, as we come before you this morning, we pray, Lord, that you may enable us to understand your word and help us, Lord, to to have you speak to us. Not a man and his mere opinions, but you, O Lord, And enable us, Lord, not only to be hearers of your word, like little Elsa, but doers of your word. In the name of our precious Saviour, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Peter is writing to suffering believers. Suffering believers for their faith. You see, the Roman state under Caesar, afflicted them in various ways. I gave you an example just now. Christians were considered to be atheists. Did you know? They suffered for being atheists. Atheists? Yeah. They didn't worship other pagan gods like Neptune or Jupiter. They didn't worship Caesar, which the Romans believed or considered to be the Lord and Saviour. Christians would deny all these gods and they would be called atheists. They only believed in the one and only true and living God, the Saviour. Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Christians were treated as political rebels. They were treated and they were scattered. They were afflicted. And mistreated. And so in chapter 1, Peter reminds believers of the living hope they have. The, the future hope in glory that despite the suffering, they have a living hope. Why? Because hope kindles joy. And even though they were scattered, they had a living hope. Joy, hope kindles joy. As I said earlier, uh, we went to visit Nora and as we were there uh, speaking to Nora, she, she would not respond. But we, get, we started to sing hymns. And as soon as we started to sing hymns, she started responding by waving her arms from one side to the other. We read the scriptures and she, she was responding by holding her eye. She couldn't open her eyes and she could not speak. But you, you could see her responding to the word and responding to sing, singing and responding to the scriptures. Why? Because hope kindles joy. Then in chapter 2, Peter calls believers to live godly lives, to live a holy life, 
to be godlike in their behavior towards people around them, even in the midst of suffering. And he tells them even to be submissive to the governing authorities. Why? Because they have been placed there by God to punish evil and reward good. They're not their enemies. And so in that sense, they are to submit within the boundaries, never claiming that Caesar is Lord, never claiming that the state is Lord and Saviour. But in the midst of affliction and in the midst of difficulty, hardship would come within the church. Let me ask you a question. What happens when you are having a terrible day? You get up in the morning, you, you got up on the left on your left foot, you go to work, everything goes bad. Um, a cat gets on the way and you can't cross, or you can um, drive. And then uh, there's a terrible traffic and you come back home and you're tired. And what happens? Are you the most kind-hearted person when you get home? Or are you grumpy and try to get your own, get everyone and, and tell everyone how they should do or what they should do? Well, if, if you're like me, we indeed respond not the good way, but the bad way. And Peter knows this. Peter knows that when the heat is being turned up in persecution and affliction comes to the church, as a church, they will be suffering even in, uh, within the relationships. And so he wants the believers that despite the affliction, he wants believers to get along with each other, even in times of difficulty. He knows the importance of behaving in a way that brings unity to the church. In fact, he wants the church to be unified. Why? Because the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. The church ought to be ordered and the church ought to be unified. It matters how believers behave with each other. It matters how they interact with one another. It matters because it's God's will for them to not mistreat one another, but to behave and to be a witness to Jesus Christ in the midst of difficulty. It matters how they treat each other because it brings glory to God. If they are unkind to each other, full of pride against one another, and they, they're filled with a desire to retaliate against each other. Is that honouring to God? No. Christians are to be a blessing to everyone, especially to the household of God, especially with other believers within the congregation. So Peter calls these believers to be unified as a local church despite the external persecution or suffering that they're going around them. He wants them to stick together. Why? Brings glory to God. How? Well, he wants them to be sympathetic towards one another. That's the first thing he says there. He wants them to be sympathetic towards one another. In other words... He wants them to have a tender concern for each other's needs and be there to help them. Our culture today elevates empathy over sympathy. But the definition of empathy nowadays is very different to what it used to mean in the past. Nowadays, empathy is you jump into the person's world and you try to understand their truth. 
and you jump with them on their truth. What happens if someone is um, sinking in quicksand and you jump with them into the quicksand? You both will sink. But sympathy, a biblical word, is very different. You understand that the person is in need and you're holding solid to the rock which is Christ and you help them out from the situation. If they're uh, sinking in their feelings and emotions, you're there to help them and say, Christ is the rock, the Lord. And so Paul wants, Paul, Peter wants them to be sympathetic towards one another, to understand their needs and to support them. He wants them to show love for the brothers and sisters. He wants them to be tender-hearted and compassionate. He wants them to do all this with a humble attitude towards one another. Not looking down on each other, but with a humble attitude towards one another. Why? A unified local church brings glory to God. A few days ago, Marco and David were playing and suddenly he became heated and they started arguing. And I hear Marco raising his loud voice as Marco has saying, David, you're not being kind and compassionate to me. We're called to be kind and compassionate to one another as a church, even in the midst of difficulties and suffering. So, in this Roman church that Peter is writing to, if someone wrongs another person, which by the way will happen because we're sinners, redeemed, but sinners nevertheless, it it will happen. They, They will be stepping on each other's toes, even within the same congregation. He does not want them to retaliate. He wants them to bless. To bless. Why? It is the will of God. He tells them that if they're wronged or insulted, not to pay evil with evil, but to do good. But that is hard, isn't it? That is hard. Because the first reaction is to retaliate. We ought to see the example of Christ the Lord, who didn't bite back, but on the contrary, out of love, he died for sinners. Let us read there verse 8 and 9. 1 Peter 3 Verse 8, finally, or in summing up, the telos, summing up, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless For to these you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And then he quotes Psalm 34, showing that obedience to God brings blessing. And the opposite, if disobedient, it will bring God's displeasure as a father with a child. Verse verse 10, for whoever desires to love life and see good days... Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open 
to their prayer. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful promise. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The world we're living today doesn't expect us to worship the state or to say that the Caesar is Lord. But they do certainly demand us to regard the state as Lord and Saviour. If we question, we suffer. Britain has long abandoned God's revelation as part of their thinking. They no longer regard God's word as what it is. The state now determines or has taken the responsibility upon themselves to determine what is right and what is wrong. So in that sense, it has become a religion with its own morality. And many are sold to the state and whatever they say. A morality driven by humanism. Humanism is the way of thinking where man or humanity is right at the centre, devoid of God or anything else, but man at the centre. This week I read the Humanist Manifesto. It's not very long. You can find it online. There are three um, statements of the manifesto, one written in 1933, the other one in 73, and the last one in 2003, and you see the progression in its thinking. They began by saying humanists are, is a religion. But then I read 2003 and something struck me. I was trying to read this manifesto, thinking how some within even this congregation would read it. And brothers and sisters, I I, I was disturbed as, as a pastor. I was disturbed because I thought, I, I don't think some even within the congregation would see that there is anything wrong with what is stated here. It really disturbed me. We are being catechized daily by the TV or by the state or by uh, corporations or schools. We're catechized daily into thinking the way of humanists' way of thinking. Advertising on TV, movies, programs, a new morality. And don't get me wrong, we can read a book or watch a movie that may be different, but we ought to be discerning even things that we may not agree with, we, we ought to be discerning, but I'm afraid that many don't see the difference anymore. There's a new morality being hammered left, right and centre. Critical race theory, for example, that the value of a person is not the value that God has given the person, but the value that a person now has is based on the colour of their skin or their sexual orientation. A completely different morality than what the Bible teaches. Intersectionality, gender inclusivity, transsexualism, and even climate change. And this constant bombardment of a new morality that is not found or based in what the Bible teaches. And we're expected to, to adopt that way of thinking and to carry on with that with, 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 with that way of living. 
And then through COVID, the, the new entryism with COVID passports and so on and so forth. The world that we're living has a completely new morality that is not found in Scripture. And as I said, not only in TV, but in large corporations are driving the state's agenda. The state's agenda, which is influenced by heavy lobbying, like groups like the World Economic Forum. State schools active promoting the state's agenda. As Vodi Bokum said, Pastor Vodi, we cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come back home as Romans. The state increasingly demands that we submit to the new morality. But as Christians, we affirm that Jesus Christ is Lord, not the state, but Jesus is Lord. And for that reason, we will suffer. We will suffer. Christians will be bullied into wearing rainbow lanyards or forced into agreeing into these new world value systems. They will be expected to, to, to join in this cancel culture. Such pressure will bring, will bring affliction. But we must not lose sight. When we go through affliction and difficulty, we must not lose, lose sight. We are called to do good even if the world goes against believers. We are called to do what is right even if the state legislates that which is against the Lord. So, despite the pressure, despite the increasing of heat that, that, that brings affliction and difficulty to us, we, as believers in Jesus Christ, must remain unified as the body of Christ. We must remain unified, sticking together by being sympathetic towards one another. In other words, having a tender concern for each other's needs and being there to help and give a hand. We are to be there to show brotherly love and affection to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are, we, we are expected by the Lord to, to be tender-hearted and compassionate, like David and Marco, compassionate. And to do all these with a humble attitude. You see, brothers and sisters, there, there will be moments when we will be rubbed the wrong way, even within this congregation, even among brothers and sisters. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. And guess what? We are sinners, redeemed, but sinners nevertheless. And so there will be a time when we'll be stumped and we will... But we're called to not act in pride, like saying, how dare he or she treat me like that? How... how how dare the pastor say this to me or my, my, my family or my children? Or how dare uh, my so-and-so my uh, say that or do this? And sometimes there will be legitimate reasons, but we ought to act humbly and love one another. Christ's example is, isn't it? 
We give, we're hit in one cheek and we ought not to retaliate, but to respond in love. We are to be unified as a local church because a unified church brings glory to God. So when someone within the congregation wrongs you, bless them. When someone within the church tells you something you didn't like, bless them. And that is my first exhortation. Bless one another. Bless one another. So while Peter knows that blessings will come to those who do right, he also knows that they have to be ready and prepared to suffer. They are to be ready because the world opposes God. The Roman Empire around them do not believe in the true God. They consider Caesar to be God and Caesar is against believers. Look at there in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Peter doesn't want believers to fear. He doesn't want believers to, 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 to crumble at the pressure. And I know it can be rather impossible, especially if you, if you feel that your life is on the line. But Paul, Peter, Peter doesn't want them to be troubled as a congregation. Instead, he wants them to look away from the trouble and affliction. He wants them to look away from Caesar who's bringing affliction to them. And he wants them to fix their sight on Jesus Christ the Lord. And so he tells them there to regard Jesus Christ as holy. To honour Christ as holy. And this reminded me of the Lord's Prayer. The first petition. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be your name. That, that means that we may regard God's name as holy. And he's a petition, Lord, let your name be regarded as holy. And here Peter is saying to believers, regard Christ as holy. Regard him as holy. Why? It is a witness. And how? Well, he tells us how. Always been ready and always prepared to give an answer of the hope that they have within them. Look at there in verse 14 again. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. Underline that. If that should be God's will, than for doing evil. The first British martyr was called 
Alban. There's in fact a city named after him in Hertfordshire. When he was being martyred or he was about to be killed, they were beating him and he was scourged for quite a period of time. And as he was being beaten, the executioner who was performing this beating was converted to Jesus Christ the very moment as he was beating him. Fox doesn't explain the things that were said or what, was, what happened or what led to that. But I can assure you that Brother Elvin was, 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 was praising God or, or even testifying of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, of the hope that was within him. And his executioner requested and said to him, let me die in your place, or at least let me die with you. They both were beheaded, but there was no executioner to behead them. So a soldier who was there stepped in and acted like an executioner and beheaded them both. The witness and the testimony of a man who was suffering for his faith led, for, led, led to someone else who didn't know the Lord to come to faith in our Saviour. It was God's will. The text here says it. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. And God not only saved Alban, but God saved also his executioner who heard the gospel and believed in him. So Peter wants them to take heart and he reminds them that they were not the only ones suffering. He reminds them that also Jesus Christ suffered. And Jesus' suffering led to his death. But what Peter is doing here is telling them that not only did, did Jesus suffer and die, he rose again from the dead. This in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. There's so much theology on that one verse that could be an entire series of sermons for that one verse. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. There is a hope. Despite suffering and death, Christ Jesus rose again. From the dead. But not only Jesus suffered and died and rose again, but Noah also suffered. But he was able to come, come out on through the other end as he passed through water. Look at there, verse 19 to 20. In which, that is in the spirit, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. In other words, Christ Jesus in the spirit. In the time of Noah, in other words, I believe through Noah, proclaimed to the spirits who were now, who are now in prison, but back then they weren't in prison. He proclaimed to them, verse 20, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. 
Not only Jesus Christ died and rose again, Noah suffered, but was able to go right through the other end. And likewise, believers. Believers, though we may suffer, or these believers, though they are suffering there at that time, by virtue of their union with Christ, they are free and they have escaped all condemnation because they are in Christ Jesus the Lord. So Peter reminds them of this truth. They have escaped the wrath of God. They have escaped by virtue of their union with Christ, which is symbolized in baptism. Doesn't baptism symbolize that we have died with Christ and rose again from the dead? No, it's not baptism that saves us. It is faith in Jesus Christ, but he's enacted in baptism. And that representation tells us and shows us that indeed we have a living hope, even though we might be suffering. And he concludes by telling that believers are now under Christ Jesus, who is seated on the throne because Jesus Christ is Lord. Look at there in verse 21 onwards. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. My dear brothers and sisters, this was something that Peter wrote to believers back then. But it's no different for us today as Christians. We may not be physically tormented as rebels of the state. But hostility is increasing. And it will increase. In December, I signed a letter that was sent to the uh, government telling them we, were, we are in disagreement with their proposed change in legislation with regards to conversion therapy, what they call conversion therapy. A legislation of such would prevent pastors telling people that they need to repent from, from homosexuality towards Jesus Christ. And so we, we wrote that letter and we told them that we were ready and prepared for civil disobedience, should they were to include that in legislation. I am ready and willing to go to prison. For I will not be stopped from proclaiming Christ Jesus is Lord. I will not be stopped by telling people and homosexual, homosexuals whom... whom whom I love in, in, in the Lord and tell them to repent from their sin, to trust in Christ. I will not be hindered by tell it to te from telling them that they must repent from their sin to Christ. I won't be stopped. Even if it means I'll end up in prison. I know the Lord will look after my wife and my kids. And I know that even if death were to depart, uh, depart us from each other. I know and I have a certain hope in Christ Jesus the Lord. For we will be with him. That is what, that is what I, I, I 
that enacted as I was baptised. I have identified myself with Christ and his people. I am in Christ the Lord. Church, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and your body in hell. Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear the ungodly state. Instead, look away from what troubles you. Look away from the affliction that they're bringing or that they will be bringing. Look away and turn to Jesus Christ the Lord and regard Jesus Christ as holy and pray indeed. Lord, may your name be hallowed. Let your name be regarded as holy. Regard Jesus Christ as holy and do not fear. How are we to regard him as holy? Being always prepared to give an answer of the hope we have in Christ Jesus to those who ask us, even in the middle of our suffering. And remembering that even through suffering, we will pass on the other side because Christ Jesus who died rose again. Noah who passed through water came onto the other side and believers will indeed pass onto the other side for the glory of God. Jesus Christ rules and reigns today for he's seated on the throne and we're called to proclaim Christ even to our governing authorities and tell them you need to repent and trust in Christ for he's Lord, not Caesar. He's Lord. So believers, my second exhortation to you, endure through suffering. Endure suffering as we proclaim Christ Jesus the Lord. Endure suffering knowing that Jesus Christ is seated on his throne and to him has been given no power and authority. Endure patiently in knowing that the outcome of your faith is the salvation of our souls for the glory of God. Peter, who wrote this letter, was also martyred. It is not in the Bible. But in tradition, in history, there is indeed account. There are accounts that he was martyred. The only account that we have is by a man, the name of Hegesippus, whom Fox mentions. He wrote that when Peter was old, Nero was planning to put him to death. Other believers, disciples of Jesus Christ, told Peter, Peter, they're trying to kill you. Run. And so he, he, he fled. And as he was coming out of the city, he had a vision. Hegesippus uh, records that it was a vision of Jesus Christ. And after that vision, Peter stopped and turned and went back again. Because he knew that this was his moment. He knew that this was the moment that Christ had prophesied in John chapter 21 verse 19. That he would be indeed taken. He would be following the Lord with his arms extended as an old man taken to the place where he didn't want And he would meet the Lord. And so he returned. And as they took him, they said they were going to crucify him as the method of of torture and killing. And he said, I'm not worthy to die like my saviour. I'm not worthy to die like Jesus. Please crucify me upside down. And they turned the cross upside down. And Peter followed 
in the suffering of Jesus Christ. Peter was a man that blessed many people around him. He blessed us even through his writing. But Peter was also a man who endured suffering for Christ's sake. Christian, bless others and endure suffering. Believers, God calls believers to be a blessing to others even while suffering. And they will receive an eternal reward for the glory of God. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you may fill us up with a desire to bless others, even when we are being afflicted, Lord. Lord, we pray that you may give us, Lord, endurance as we've been afflicted, Lord. Lord, the affliction that brothers and sisters endured in the past are no no way comparing to afflictions that Christians live even today. Lord, we pray that you may give us strength, whatever the case, that you, O Lord, be honoured as we trust the Lord and we await his coming. In the name of our precious Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us finish with that wonderful hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is